This is the London FinTech Podcast, brought to you by your host, Mike Ballaman, bridging the worlds of suits and t-shirts, of finance and technology, bringing you insights, stories, and inspiration from the golden age of opportunity and innovation happening in London right now. Hi, this is Mike Ballaman, and this is the London FinTech Podcast, episode 231 brought to you in association with SMART and EnlistedBoard.com. And I'm delighted to be joined today once again by Mario Ineco, tireless workhorse on his increasingly popular YouTube channel, Mineco64, the home of contrarian views and alternative economics, to update us on developments at the very core of finance, namely the nature of and control of money and banking. These are topics that, of course, not just affect us who are interested in finance and fintech, but absolutely everyone in the world who uses money daily. So they are of critical importance to track and understand. Mario sets a record for the shortest ever return to the LFP, having been on the show in February this year. However, events are moving apace, and there's much new to discuss and to share. In LFP 197 in February 2022, we originally discussed money in the 21st century and a huge range of topics. The ballooning printing of fiat, QE, MMT, government debt, CBDCs, crypto, de-dollarization, hyperinflation and gold, certainly a value for money episode. Earlier this year in LFP 220, we focused on what I feel, certainly amongst the people I know, is actually a very obscure topic, but one that's of incredible importance. Namely, the little recognised connection between the nature of money, which is seemingly a very abstract thing, of interest only to a few, and social and ethical collapse. Precedents are legion, notably Revolutionary France and Weimar Republic. A century of the Federal Reserve and 50 years of the gold standard now have surely led us to something that will, in history books, be another precedent when someone does a podcast like this in a century or two's time. We have infinite warring by the so-called West, which is more accurately perhaps described as the globalist US empire, and moral, ethical and social collapse, with a governing class increasingly comprised of kleptocrats, oligarchs, sociopaths, hell-bent on tyranny and autocracy. At an FS level, we see this with CBDCs. We're already getting a taste of what happens when you allow the permanent state control over the detailed use of money with financial exclusion, which has now reached the likes of the UK's most influential 21st century politician, Nigel Farage. And of course, in our clown world slash satanically inverted world, pick whichever phrase works best for you, the reality of the modern world certainly in the West, is always the inverse of the slogan. Financial inclusion, of course, being the slogan here, and the reality, financial exclusion. Another prime example is the oft-repeated word democracy. However, the more power is concentrated, the more it corrupts, and the more those the, the levers of power get drunk on power. The inept, incompetent and corrupt regime in power in the US will go down in the history books, I feel, as having totally blown US financial hegemony, which has lasted since 1945. As we discussed in February, the freezing, by now attempted theft, certainly in the EU, of Russian central bank reserves would have huge consequences. And lo and behold, gold repatriation has become a thing. Likewise, the development of a gold-backed currency by the BRICS, with its huge waiting list of countries to join, is also stimulated by the fact that the US, so-called sanctions, unquotes, about a third of the countries on the planet. So there's plenty to talk about, and we all care about the future of money, because we have it. So let's get on with the show. Good afternoon, Mario. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Good afternoon, Mike, and thank you uh, for having me on the LFP show. 
So before we talk about how things have changed and the rate of change, which is very relevant to uh, all of us and the economics and inflation, stock markets and gold prices and everything like that, I thought we'd start out with a higher level one, which is that a certain amount of my thought is given to the kind of, let's say, just post-collapse, let's keep it in sort of very simple cartoon-like terms, about how one rebuilds and the, the nature of the, the big, the highest level phenomenon, and money is just a symptom of things that have been going on for quite some time, in a sense. And I happen to see today an obituary of Milan Kundera. This was in 1967, the year before the uh, Czech Spring, which didn't turn out entirely well for those of you who didn't do it at school. Quotes, Kundera denounced the vandals in power, living, quotes, purely in their own immediate present tense, who are quite capable of turning their country into a wasteland with no history, no memory, no echo of beauty. And he also said, and this is talking about recognising dissidents then and perhaps now actually, I recognise this one in terms of the dissidents that I meet, or dissidents on all sorts of fronts. I could always recognise a person who is not a Stalinist, a person whom I needn't fear. By the way he smiled, a sense of humour was a trustworthy sign of recognition. And I was actually thinking, you know, what differentiates the dissidenty people over the last few years, whether you're dissidenting on the nature of money, as you have been for 20 years, Mario, or whether one's dissidenting on injections, or whether one's dissidenting on climate change, or, or whatever. And I think there is this quality, there is this kind of almost old-fashioned quality these days, which is that these people are just very human and can be quite silly and quite light-hearted. Whereas if you look at the permanent state, I mean, the Bank of England, or the Treasury, or big banks, people are increasingly robotic, a point that Ian McGilchrist has made. So, yes, how do you see this whole thing about those people who are increasingly having to go along with increasingly wacky agendas? And we were talking beforehand about your interview with a chap I like, Rafi Farber, who's on your show a few times, and he dissents against the nature of money, he dissents against the nature of woke, he's fairly orthodox Jewish, he's always wearing his skull cap, and many other things, including the injections. But... Notwithstanding all that, he's got a great sense of humour and he's a bit crazy, which, you know, really makes one love him. So, so how do you think all these things mixed together, sort of thinking for yourself, dissidenty, and then how do people who, like you, stare into the darkness every day and find out what's going on and report it to us all, how do you do that without, in the immortal phrase, the darkness staring back into you at some point? I started looking into things like uh, the nature of the monetary system, uh, whether we had a free market back in the late 90s and yes uh staring into the darkness and seeing and then seeing a bright light it, it can be uh, uh, i i always want to know the truth that's how i i keep saying and uh i think the old saying you know the the truth uh set you free is interesting and also yeah to to know what's going on as well I think gives you an edge over people. And it's one of the reasons why I started my channel to try to uh, wake people up uh, and talk about things. And, you know, there are people who won't listen and you can't really help those people. But you, you mentioned like the Bank of England and the big corporations there, they're playing this agenda. But the other day I uh, I met this guy playing golf and uh, he, he worked for uh, Credit Suisse. And at one point, I was talking to him about things, you know, that I was getting tired from walking uh, up up hills and it could be long COVID. And he said to me, I was surprised, oh, yeah, COVID sponsored by Pfizer. So this is a guy working for So we, I think within these institutions, a lot of people are waking up even, but they can't really say anything because 
they got to uh, toe the party line. And uh, yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Czechoslovakia at the time. It was Czechoslovakia, the Prague Spring, because a lot of the Eastern European countries, you meet Eastern Europeans sometimes here in the UK, and they're all quite awake, maybe because they went through this uh, <laughs> Um, just you know up until 30 years ago they, they they went through it for like 50 years so yeah what about smiling and laughing and taking yeah i think because like rafi you know the powers that be want you to be scared want you to uh, be inactive so i think you have to do the opposite and uh that's the way uh, you know i face this Yes, yes. I mean, when you said the truth will set you free, certainly my experience in the last three years of the truth setting you free is that is actually, I mean, the funny thing is, if you're just open-minded, and I will start from the basis that I don't know anything, I've got a few presuppositions, and they may be roughly right or roughly wrong, but then you just go listen to what people say. It's actually not too hard to find, but I found less that the truth will set you free than the truth will make you lonely. <laughs> it may be different because you've now got followers on your channel who are not crazy because they listen to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I find that uh, through my channel, I've met a few people actually, personally, not many, and uh, I have a lot more good friends than I had before. So it's ironic. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, a lot of times the way... Uh, looking at things like this will, uh, you know, you won't, you won't have too many people around you, but the ones that you do, uh, I'm sure, you know, uh, they're, they're the right ones. So uh, that's the way I, I, I look at it. And like you said, with all that governments have done over the decades and the stuff that we found out, it's sometimes very difficult to know what is true. But um, by truth, I mean like common sense. You know, if you do something, it will have consequence. You know, if you do something that's, uh, it's like a Newton's uh, third law. You know, if you, if you do something one way, you know, it's going to affect uh, a, another factor another way. That's how I look at it, you know. And for example, in the field that I look, when central banks print too much currency and credit and borrows and governments borrow too much, you can be sure that prices will rise because that's the consequence of inflating the currency. So that, that's the truth. But nowadays, a lot of people don't, don't even think of that as inflate, inflating the currency. They, they think of CPI, which is the measurement of prices, consumer prices as inflation. So yeah, there are ways to look at the truth. But like you said, yeah, what is true? <laughs> There's a lot of things that we don't know. Yes, I think it's the, the opposite is, is much easier in that, for example, I mean, I follow the Duran and, and talking people with a sense of humor, Alex Christofferu, uh, the guy in Cyprus where they've got a mega heat wave at the moment. <laughs> He's got a very good sense of humor. He has always a good clown world. He does imitations and all that. And, you know, he, he follows this terrible stuff on, on every dimension, roughly every day, as far as um, I can see. And I think that, you know, th that's a good example because they're not always right about everything. And I was watching them pretty much real time uh, the other week with Prigozhin's rebellion or wh whatever it actually was, or hissy fit, and we, we, we may take some time to find out. And I think that one's on much more straightforward ground by knowing what is false. So if you, for example, read any UK mainstream media, 
newspaper the last 12 months on the Ukraine war, you'll be given something which is demonstrably false by, you know, pretty good um, uh, authorities. So yes, th so certainly I think sort of um, uh, that way around. But uh, in terms of what you were saying about, if I just paraphrase, you can't evade the law of gravity forever, um, I think that's one of the things that has actually led to the extremely rapid changes just over six months about the outlook for money from a global perspective uh, and the massive rate of change. Virtually unlimited printing of money, uh, virtually unlimited borrowing, you know, the, the big soundbite for anybody who hasn't seen it is that the US debt burden per annum is approaching a trillion dollars. That's just the interest that, that America has got to play. And that can only go on for a period of time. Again, going back to history, which is one of the things that's sort of massively underappreciated. Uh, and you, as you say, you've got this group think, you've got this so-called elite group think. So everybody in the Bank of England is this sort of insane neo-Keynesian. And Keynes, if he were alive today, would say, don't use my bloody name for the, your stupid stuff that you're doing. He wasn't an idiot. You know, even if he had a sort of somewhat state socialist perspective and a different perspective from the Austrians. But uh, at the time, there was some reasonable debate. And it's like yin and yang. You need to see the both sides of the equation. But I don't think he would have bought into it. And I did see last week, of course, that the Bank of England was pointing out that men can have babies and no doubt women can make them um, pregnant. And I, I'd much rather that they didn't intervene in the questions of uh, biology, fascinating as they might be, and actually stuck to not having inflation at uh, 10 times their um, target. But uh, just overall, just to lead us into this, there seems to be a hell of a momentum. It's almost like the blow-off period. Yeah, things seem to be happening a lot faster. I think it was uh, Hemingway who said that, you know, how how did you go bankrupt? He said gradually at first and then, you know, uh, all at once. Or And I think that's what's going on. And uh, the, you mentioned the the attempted coup in, in Russia. And no one talks about it anymore. It's off, off, off the news. Right now it's something else. There's always a distraction. But I, I think the uh, reason things are happening is because because the money is bad, you know, and they've created so much debt. They've created, you know, and the debt creates a lot of problems because you have big government, big taxation, and, and uh, the central banks are way behind the curve and they've had to raise rates. And at the same time, you see people like Jeremy Hunt uh, talking to like Martin Lewis, uh, the money-saving expert, to try to uh, stem the tide of foreclosures, and I don't think they're going to succeed. But yeah, a, a lot is happening. It just seems to, or maybe we're getting older and things seem to happen faster. But uh, uh, it's definitely not like uh, in the uh, '80s and '90s. I mean, things were a little bit. It seems to me, you know that interest rates were more normal. You know, you, you had 5% five, 5 rate was low. 6 and 7 was normal. Italy, I remember trading Italian bonds, they had double digit rates, you know, but now it's, everything's gone from zero and now it's up to like four or five. And, and um, I think that's why, you know, one of the reasons it could be to do with the money, how quickly interest rates have gone up and it's creating uh, several crises. Uh, last year in the UK in September, October with the uh, LDI and the uh, defined benefit pensions. And then in, in March this year, you had the big, I think it was probably two of the biggest uh, bank failures in the US, SVB, Republic Bank, and then you had Credit Suisse. So yeah, it's all 
happening and <laughs> something else could happen next week or in two weeks that uh, out of left field. So I think it's related to that. The, the, the speed at which they've had to raise rates impacts everything. Yes, and, and hearing you speak there, I was just reflecting on um, that I was very fortunate to give up physics before I had to properly understand fast Fourier transforms, which is that any kind of wave can be created by summing different sort of sine waves. I, I kind of understand the theory, but I could never ever do the maths. So fortunately, I gave it up, but there are many waves that are coinciding now. So we've discussed before the 1971 Nixon going off the gold standard, once again for, for more war at the time. So that is definitely reaching its fruition, as we'll talk about later in terms of the BRICS, looking at um, potentially, in a sense, reversing that. But also one of the major trends is that actually someone said the other day that GFC, the global financial crisis, is, is misnamed because it should have been WFC, the Western financial um, crisis, because there were plenty of parts of the world that didn't have um, these issues. But another thing, in, just in terms of another wave you have to add on, you know, it's, it's like whatever neat tides, whatever it is, when the, when the tide is really high and the moon's over here and the sun's over there. Lots of things going on at the same time. Another one, of course, is, is in a sense it's GFC or WFC 2, which is that in 2008 it wasn't repaired. And then, as you say, there's all sorts of things, whether it's social, ethical, but in particular governments. And it occurred to me the other day that it would have been inconceivable in the 20th century to have unelected prime ministers. It just didn't happen in Britain. But now we've got, I can't remember, what, three or four unelected ones? And, you know, the current prime minister was not even elected by the Conservative Party. And um, you've got Macron, who just passes some pensions legislation. And there's absolutely um, insanities. So let's just start with the banking. There's different versions, I think, of what's called debanking. Some banks, since we last spoke, have debanked themselves, <laughs> notably Silicon Valley Bank and others. And there's regional banking problems in the States and plenty of people expecting more banking a failure. So banks have been debanking themselves. Nigel Farage in the in UK has been denied uh, an account by whatever seven or eight now. As he said, he's received thousands of uh, emails coming into him of people who've been debanked all, already. And then also in terms of debanking, you've got the sort of uh, the war against cash. So w w where do you see sort of banks at, at at the moment? Where do you see banking per se going? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're trying to uh, move into the uh, digital world. The reason they haven't sped up more is that there's still quite a lot of uh, older people, uh, you know, that need to use the bank. But if it, and I think maybe in 10 years, we could see all the branches close. I hope not. But um, yeah, the banking, Nigel Farage, uh, I mean, it's all about a lot of the, um, compliance as well. Um, I remember uh, last month or not last month, some months ago, uh, I bought some gold. It was last year uh, through through uh, online and I got a call from security and they wanted to know why, you know, wh where, what did you spend your money on? <laughs> and, and I said, uh, I don't need to tell you, it's my money. And uh, they said, oh, if you don't tell us, we're going to freeze your account. So they're very strict. And, and I think it's all to do with uh, control. They want to be in control. And it's got to do a lot with what, what's happening to the money, all the debt. The more they lose control, the more draconian they get um, because they want to make sure that you keep the money within the system. I mean, it happened uh, back in the uh, 1720s uh, under John Law in France. <laughs> you know, he, he banned... Uh, he he blew up the Mississippi bubble and he banned at one point people using gold and silver. 
So yeah, it, it, it's not surprising. Uh, and if I had to uh, say what's going to happen in the next few years, yeah, I could say, yeah, we're going to have the Brit Britcoin and CBDCs and, and they'll have control of uh, over all our uh, you know, monetary transactions. But I think that's uh, easier said than done. I, I know that they're pushing for that. But uh, I still have hope that uh, the way they're running things now, that people will lose confidence in them and say, why should we uh, entrust you with a new system if you couldn't keep the old system uh, and you destroyed it? So it's not like a, it's like a two part answer, I guess. Yes, CBDCs. And the other one is something else. Maybe we will get uh, the, the people, you know, the, the market really take over uh, the system and people use whatever they want as money. Yes, yes. And um, when you were talking before about your golf partner from CSFB being a sort of, uh, shall we say, a private sceptic of the official narrative, which is incredibly uniform on roughly everything across roughly all Western media. I was also thinking of the, the tipping point and in terms of this thing about the, the truth will set you free but also it will make you lonely. That's the early adopter stage using a tech model. You've got your early adopters, the first person to use iPads or whatever and all the <laughs> mobile phones and, and then other people catch on, other people catch on and there's a bunch of people who will never get it. Um, but then you get past the, sort of, past the hill and then you've got the majority of people uh, at which point things can flip very rapidly. Um, because people no longer worried about all of the things that the government tells you to worry about. And you get the equivalent of a Ceausescu moment where, you know, he's, he's doing his usual thing and they go, oh, just fuck off, won't you? And he's like, the, the, the look of shock on his face. What, what do you mean? Don't you know who I am? And, and then it suddenly just, you know, just, just pops um, yeah. like that. I mean, I think the, that having... So I'm ultimately positive because I think more and more people are waking up to the the way things are, and not just that, as we'll come on to. I think the BRICs are showing the way. that They do not want to go down the toilet in the same way that the globalist empire is taking it itself and Europe. I mean, one of the things that did shock me, though, <laughs> I thought, well, I, I should Google CBDCs just to catch up on the news. Of course, you can't find anything of interest. And it's all, oh, how wonderful they are. And, you know, one tech site was saying, oh, it's tech, and tech's wonderful, so we need more of this kind of stuff. You know, technology solves everything. Oh, God, as opposed to creating problems. And another site, um, some lawyers were saying, oh, CBDCs are great because it'll stop bank runs. And, you know, I'm, I, I read this. I thought, I, I can't read anymore. I can't read anymore. Yeah, stop bank runs because the bank will go bust and your money will still be in there. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely insane. So the good thing is, though, that it gets to a certain degree of insanity. We're getting pretty near, near there and it can't continue. That having been said, I wouldn't like to be Farage and his family when you can't get a bank account for uh, six months because you need it for everything. And you're talking about old folks. My parents haven't been well recently. Probably not helped by being injected a few times, actually. And my father certainly has been told that privately by a, by a consultant who would never say uh, publicly or put it on his medical record. But uh, I had some examples recently um, of where my father needed to do stuff. And they said, oh, we'll do it online. And I had to find a telephone number for Lloyd's bank for him, which is, God, a real nightmare. And he lost his bank card coming out of hospital. Um, you know, he'd been really unwell, lost, you know, memory wasn't good, lost his phone, lost his bank card, or they lost it for him. And the devil of a job he had. He had to go, he had to go, he was not well, but anyway, eventually he had to go to a branch of Lloyd's Bank, you know, and actually stand there and say, look, I'm an old sick man. <laughs> I've lost my bank card, give me another one. And even then it was really difficult. And because he'd learned his lesson at the time, 
hey, you still want to withdraw a few hundred quid? I want some money. And they said, well, you've got to tell us why. And when they spoke to me, I said, we should tell him to piss off. I mean, God, he's, he was born before the war. The Germans bombed him, you know. Don't tell me, kiddo, what to, what to do. So this idea that the banks have suddenly given themselves the right to ask what you want to do with your money, it's just, it's, it's, it's this kind of absurdity. And I did watch, and I'll, I'll include a link in the show notes because it was a very good uh, episode, um, the one where you were talking about um, uh, John Law. And what I didn't particularly know about uh, John Law, who's this Scot who was totally fucked up the French um, monetary system. Maybe it was a plant by us. But anyway, apparently what, what, you, what you were saying was that the, the book you were quoting was that to the end of his days, he was kept saying, no, I was right. I was right. Just misunderstood. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I'm surprised they asked, asked your dad for about 200 pounds. I mean, it's, it's silly. Yes. And I think that in terms of, you know, if people are listening to this in 30 years time and trying to phoenix from the ashes of Western Europe and the former Anglosphere, then I think one of the things they need to be aware of, and I've mentioned this multiple times about Ian Midgilchrist, left brain, bureaucracy, robotic, rule-driven way of doing things. And going back to Sir Paul Tucker's unelected power, one of the fundamental problems is massive bureaucracy and everything. Massive bureaucracy in megabanks, massive bureaucracy in big pharma, and as Max Weber predicted a century ago, and as George Lucas leveraged in Star Wars 1, Having a vast command and control bureaucracy makes it super easy to be a tyrant because you just go to the head and you say, look, do this, and, that, and, that, and they all do it. And going back to uh, democracy being a word which is um, more in absence than presence at the moment. I've been very sceptical on the podcast to, to the younger whippersnappers who are perhaps half my age or something um, on this whole anti-money laundering. Money laundering's bad and know your client and all this kind of stuff. Yes, yes, yes. And regulation. And regulators are here to help. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, when I looked at the CBDCs, oh, CBDCs will help cut down on crime. No, they won't. The Clintons will still own 100 billion. Nancy Pelosi will still be mega billionaire with insider trading, etc., 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 across the board. I mean, going back to the Ukraine, one of the things I just happened to hear recently was that some of the billions from America repaid the Ukraine's foreign debt, which apparently was um, mostly owned by BlackRock. You know, is this kind of corruption is, is, yeah. is absolutely blatant. And, uh, the money laundering, the KYC, uh, all that compliance. Um, when I started out in the city, I did my uh, SFA, it was called at the time. But that was a, a test for how to, for, you know, deal in, in the markets and, and stuff. It, there, was, there wasn't much about compliance at all. I, I think that's the job for the police, not for banks. Uh, you know, I spoke to a old client of mine who's a friend now. He's in Germany, and he uh, he worked, uh, you know, for banks and and other companies. And he said Deutsche Bank they have they employ employ more lawyers and compliance people than bankers itself. So yeah, if the police did its proper job of getting criminals, uh, banks would wouldn't have to to do all these things you know it's not the job of a banker to to investigate their clients and uh, maybe that's one of the reasons why they cracked down on the swiss and got them to uh, you know end their uh, bank secrecy and uh, because the the swiss used to you know if you had an account in switzerland it was pri something private and uh, no one could uh, accept the banker know who you are and you know where your money is from. Yeah, of course, there are criminals who bank, but it's not the job of uh, banking to be a police. 
Yes, I was fortunate enough to join the city in the beginning of 85, before Big Bang. And there was, off the top of my head, until the early 90s, no mention of compliance. There was no FCA, FSA, anything like that. And as Sir Paul Tucker said when he was on the show, in the 1970s, he said the Bank of England wasn't responsible for regulating banks even. It wasn't even overseeing the, the banks. It was just like change interest rates and that kind of stuff. And um, I think the, the important point there is that it's not just that Mike worked in 1985 before Big Bang. What does that mean? Well, what that actually means is that there was a system of finance which had been going on perfectly well for centuries. And there was a system of law and the law did the thing. And none of us want to help criminals in the slightest. And, and you know, if banks had a concern over somebody, they may... Uh, report it to the relevant authorities and, and this kind of stuff. And um, it does come back to, I wrote a, a section of my book was called Emperor Palpatine was right. Uh, Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars. And Emperor Palpatine was right um, because when he saw the Galactic Empire taken over by unelected power and bureaucrats who are only following orders and rules and passing it down this logical left-brained uh, way, he realised that it was right for takeover because you just needed somebody at the top. Okay, so look, uh, since we spoke, I think especially was it um, Nigeria or Kenya, I've forgotten, sorry, uh, CBDC attempts which have gone down like a lead balloon um, with the populace. You've got the whole stuff with the sort of the Dutch farmers uh, and, and all this kind of thing. So um, pushback is starting. But so if one of our main topics is, is debanking, like the bank, some banks have debanked themselves by going bust uh, others, we suspect, uh, will do. Um, individuals are being debanked and literally cannot operate in society. All this financial inclusion, no, old folks are finding it really tough. You know, if you're 89 and born before the war, my father's not bad with computers, but after being ill in hospital, etc., uh, etc. Et uh, and then the decaching as well. The other thing that I, I think of is the um, what one might call degolding, which is that a lot of the gold for places in the world is held at um, Fort Knox and the Bank of England allegedly, and this is something you've covered on your channel uh, a number of times, Maria. Back in the States, Ron Paul, bless him, for some time has been saying audit the Fed as well as end, end the Fed. And there's a big question over the hypothecation of gold, i.e. the lending out by the Bank of England of gold, and whether it is all really uh, there. So maybe you'd like to um, bring the audience up to speed about this whole repatriation of gold and the, and the, the whole number of things that follow from it. Yeah, and... Um... I think, uh, yeah, Germany back in 2013, the Bundesbank, they uh, asked the uh, New York Fed because actually it's the New York Fed. Fort Knox, I think, is supposedly the U.S. gold. They uh -huh. asked for 300 tons to be repatriated and it took three years. And you kind of wonder why three years? Venezuela, Hugo Chavez asked for 160 tons from the Bank of England in 2011 and he got it in months shipped to Caracas. So the, the problem there is that uh, the New York Fed, yeah, they have a gold vault. You can go on their website <laughs> and some beautiful pictures of all the gold. But all that gold is held for uh, foreign central banks or sovereign wealth funds or maybe the IMF. And I think they hold it there. They say it's because of, you know, the, the history of gold and uh, Bretton Woods, you know, countries by tradition kept it there to pay their you know, they got paid for surpluses from the U.S. Treasury. But we haven't had that system for 50 years. And the Bank of England, the same. They, they keep, uh, they've got on their website, they've got about 160 million ounces of gold that they keep for other countries or about 5,000 tons. And again, they give the excuse, oh, it's because of during the gold standard, London is the center of gold trading. 
but we don't have a gold standard anymore. So why do they keep this gold? Well, uh, I think it's because they use it, like you said, to lease it. And in London, in the city, there is no limit to leasing uh, or rehypothecation. You can rehypothecate uh, as many times as you want. So that's a way of controlling the gold price. It's a little bit like uh, stock trading. If you have a stock, uh, an account with a stockbroker and you want to short IBM, uh, you have to, uh, the broker will borrow the shares from you from another customer who's long the shares and then you can go and short uh, and, and that's a covered short uh, but what the Bank of England does in the New York Fed is they will lease let's say 10 uh, 100 tons off one ton to a bullion bank and they will go and, and sell 100 tons uh, on the back of one ton so they, this naked short selling that and, and that you know that increases the supply of paper gold, not real gold. And that's why a lot of times, even though gold has gone up a lot in the last 50 years, uh, it hasn't gone up in a straight line because if it went up in a straight line, people would get out of the fiat system. So they have to make it uh, scary for people. You know, they have to make gold drop sometimes, you know, and like scare people out of the... Uh, out of the market and I hear a lot of people who have asked me over the years you know where can I put some money at? and I talk about gold and the first thing a lot of people say is oh it's too too risky and <laughs> and too volatile you know and uh, and that's the way they want to make it and I think that's why they they use that you know the leasing but now if countries want to repatriate a lot of their gold from the Bank of England and New York Fed uh, they'll still be able to lease, but you know, if you go from 5,000 tons to 2,500 tons at the Bank of England, let's say, for example, they'll, they'll have a lot less power to control the gold price. And uh, I, I think hopefully you know, treasuries and central bankers around the world uh, are twigging on to this. And uh, that's why I think uh, it looks like they want to repatriate more gold. It came out in the FT and Reuters that they did a survey that that seems to be the next trend, not just buying physical gold, but also keeping it in their own banks, not with the, with the Bank of England or the New York Fed, especially also with what happened with Russia. You know, uh, they can freeze your account. Uh, I, I think Venezuela, yeah, they got the 160 tons in 2011 from the Bank of England, but now they, they try to take out uh, some tonnage they have, not as much, in 2018. And the Bank of England has blocked that. Even the, the, the British High Court ruled in favor of the Bank of England. And the reason was because the current president... Uh, Maduro, they said, is not the legitimate president. They said it was Guaido was the legitimate president. But now Guaido, from I heard a, a month or two ago, he's had to, uh, you know, get out of Venezuela. He's kind of done. He's like in exile in Miami. So why, you know, is the Bank of England keeping Venezuela's gold? And I think uh, other countries see that. And that's why they're trying to take, take it out, repatriate. Absolutely, and, and hearing you say that, it's yet another sort of third sine wave. If you've got the 1971 uh, going off the gold standard, if you've got the sort of the, the 
the financial crisis 2008 part two. But then the other long, very, very long secular wave is the move from Europe and its troublesome offspring uh, in America more recently uh, of being the centre of world power uh, back uh, to China, which perhaps it was more of a thousand years ago. And just before we go on to the BRICS, what do you make of China and Shanghai opening um, uh, its own gold markets and, and more physical gold markets rather than this sort of speculation stuff? I mean, one of the reasons, another reason is simply that, uh, forgetting all the abstracts I've just mentioned, is that finance has always been about trust. Once you blow your trust, you're blowing your trust. <laughs> like you rely on somebody to give you a lift to the, the golf thing and then one day he forgets. The, the trust factor is gone or, you know, you've got a partner and, you know, someday you'll find her at an orgy, you know, down the road. And you go, hang on. <laughs> Once trust is broken, it, it's very easily lost, very hard to regain. And I think US and UK have completely blown any trust whatsoever. So I'm not in the slightest surprise the rest of the world is fucking off. But, you know, in terms of that sort of, very detailed political analysis. What does it, on a more detailed level, what does it mean that sort of Shanghai and, and China are having their own uh, gold markets? Yeah, I think they. I've covered that a few years ago. They, it's it's not recent. You know, they opened a Shanghai Gold Exchange and also a futures exchange, and um, yeah, and uh, it's supposed to be more of a physical market, not like COMEX where. Comex is more like a bucket shop where you bet on prices and <laughs> there's hardly any physical delivery. And the Chinese, I think, uh, and the BRICS in general, they want a system that is more based on reality. And I think that's, uh, you know, and the other thing that uh, the uh, Shanghai uh, futures and gold exchange uh, does, it allows international companies uh, or actors or countries to uh, basically sell sell you one that they might earn from selling stuff to to China and with uh, with those you want they can buy gold and take delivery so it's a mechanism for for that and I think the Russians did the same uh, I think they want to they announced earlier this year they want to start a Moscow uh, gold standard international standard a little bit like the uh, uh, equivalent of the LBMA of course, they were kicked out of the LBMA last year. And uh, yeah, so I'm not surprised. This has been in, it, it, it hasn't happened overnight. Uh, I think uh, the Chinese knew that they had to create these exchanges. And they also trade a lot of the base metals. And you talked about trust. <laughs> uh, look at what happened to the LME. You know, they canceled trades. Was it early this year or last year? The Nikko, yeah, they just canceled trades. And uh, I think now... Uh, Paul Singer, who's like a very tough cookie hedge fund manager who actually won a case against Argentina, uh, he's gone after them because he thought he, his fund had made millions and then they just decided to cancel the trades, which I would have laughed at that back in the day, you know, when I was... I wouldn't have believed, I wouldn't have yeah, believed yeah. You can't, believed you can't cancel a trade, you know, yeah. and uh, if a client asks you, oh, can you cancel a trade? Uh, like when I traded futures, let's say he bought something and he said, oh, I didn't really mean to buy it. If the price was lower, we would cancel it, but he'd have to wear the loss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. So the multipolarity that's coming in, 
for all the reasons uh, we've touched on. And there's a huge uh, waiting list to join the BRICS. Uh, understandably, if I was any country not in the American ambit, I'd be doing that. And actually, some of them, I think, oh, isn't, isn't Japan or something, which has got its own crazy monetary policy, it's a different story entirely. And also, maybe even some Western countries are sort of sniffing around uh, joining the BRICS because, you know, rats love leaving a sinking ship or at least sort of preparing for which direction to, to swim, shall we say. But since we spoke last, um, there have been um, a few more leaks slash rumours slash indications. Um, the Russian embassy in Kenya and uh, an article on Russia Today about the BRICS and if not a gold-backed currency, then at least a gold-backed medium of exchange, which in a sense is following up the increasing amount of trade done away from the, the, the US dollar, you know, Saudi, China, Russia, India, these massive powers, unsurprisingly, aren't interested in the American rule-based orders. Putin famously said, yes, rule-based orders, fine, but whose rules? <laughs> and there was that famous handshake between Xi and Putin after Xi had visited Putin in, in Moscow, where um, his parting remarks were in front of the cameras, something like, you know, we're creating history, which of course, okay, yeah, in what way is that in particular? Um, and everyone at the time was focused on the Ukraine war. I didn't think China's got an interest. I think China wants the Ukraine war to settle down as, as soon as possible. China is mercantilist, although the crazy Americans keep winding up China as well, which is uh, uh, insane. So um, you follow this way more closely than I do, Mario. What, what's your current understanding about the nature of this guild backing and what kind of transactions? I mean, I did see on the Duran that they said that it will just apply first to commodity trade or something like that. It's not like the, the man in Moscow and the man in Beijing and the man in Karachi will be sort of walking around using some gold-backed currency. Yeah, I think uh, what they want uh, from gold is uh, a neutral asset, an, an asset that's apolitical, an asset that can't really be debased or, you know, they can't freeze your gold. <laughs> and that's the other reason why they want to repatriate it. And and I think uh, it's going to, you know, I don't know, it's speculation, but I think they're going to start like they used to do uh, during the Bretton Woods system. If you have a surplus af at the end of the fiscal year with, with China, you know, you, you, you send your yuan and you say, I want this much gold. Uh, I think that's what it's going to be just to settle trade and eventually... Uh, it will evolve into something else. I don't know. I mean, uh, they're supposed to meet on August 22nd, the BRICS summit in South Africa. I think maybe we'll hear more then or even in the interim. But uh, some people would argue, like Rafi Faber, that that's the wrong way to go about it, that you need for the it come from the bottom up, people using gold, and it develops as a system. But unfortunately, the you can't that can't happen right now because uh the you know people have been um turned off switched off from sound money for for many many decades so maybe it, it is the right way to go about it and i'm not saying that uh BRICS uh nations are you know that are they're run better than the west but at least they're trying to get from under the west i think that's what they're trying to do and uh, I'm not judging whether, uh, you know, uh, governments in those BRIC countries are uh, corrupt or not. But uh, I think it's, it's just uh, like uh, a macrocosm of what's happening to people like you and me, for example. We want to, uh, you know, we want to be outside the system. And it looks like the BRICs want, they want to be outside the system or have an alternative.
So yeah, that that's the way I see it. They they'll probably start it. You can't start right away. Like people are going to be using gold coins and silver coins. It's more for uh, a sovereign or sovereign uh, accounts, I would say. Yeah, so you've got to start by slowly uh, relating things to something that isn't going to flap around all over the place, or the politicians can't just print. And you know, in terms of the governance of these countries, again, I, I'm not praising the governance of China. I don't. I'm very interested in Chinese culture, the listeners will know, but I wouldn't want to live in China. And I'm not entirely sure my former master, who was from Hong Kong, would want to live in China. And equally, Russia. I've always had a lot of respect for uh, Russia, and Russians are like a lot of people of my generation, absolutely aware that without Russia, we would not have <laughs> easily, at the minimum, beaten uh, Hitler, and Russia was absolutely uh, essential. So I'm very positive towards uh, Russia. But Russia and China, I think it um, and Saudi, although Saudi is a much more recent country, Russia and China are continuing with traditional forms of governance. China is run now as it was a thousand years ago. Russia is run now as it was 500 years ago. There are, of course, some differences, but the, the basic essence there. The massive departure is, is that the UK and US, uh, who seem to be leading the way, are not run at all like they were 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, we had a Labour government um, for most of my uh, uh, childhood before um, Thatcher came in, uh, but they were all absolute patriots. They were men who predominantly fought in the, in the Second World War uh, and in America. The same applies there. Okay, so look, uh, on Rafi's point about the bottom-up, I think that you can see a bit of bottom-up in that there are these US states that are sort of legitimising the, the use of gold again. So that is yeah, a, yeah. a state, it's not quite an individual bottom-up. I mean, you know, you and Rafi can, can trade gold coins with each other for hamburgers or whatever. So it can happen both bottom-up and top-down. So I think the last sort of curiosity is that we've had this record amount of gold buying and you came up with this brilliant phrase, backing up the truck. The central banks are literally backing up the truck and you know, you and I probably aren't buying as much gold as they are, but they're buying hundreds of tonnes of gold. And how the hell do they manage to do that without the price going through the roof? Yeah, I think, um, you know, um, as I said, there's a infinite supply almost of paper gold and that kind of keeps uh, the price suppressed. And there's also the... Uh, the foreign exchange part as well, for example, in the UK, the pound has strengthened quite a bit in the last uh, nine months or so. It went from 103. I think today we're trading at 130. But that's happened uh, many times since I started looking into gold and buying gold in 02. I remember uh, the pound was really strong up until 2005, six, and it didn't do anything. But then all of a sudden, uh, you know, the pound topped, gold took off. So I think people just need to be patient. If you really believe, though, that the Bank of England has everything under control, that the government is going to pay off the debt and uh, cut taxes and everything's going to be fine, then, yeah, uh, maybe you <laughs> you sell your gold and you buy gilts. But I, I think, um, yeah, this is just uh, the way it is. You just have to be patient. Yes, and we will have to be patient with the, the development. I mean, special shout out to all my listeners, uh, not in the um, American globalist empire, uh, because I think you may be having it uh, a rather smoother time um, over, the and over the next decade. But before we wrap up the show, I'd like to thank all the listeners out there, especially those in BRICS and those giving up to being BRICS, and my band partners in the Park Coast, smartest transforming pensions and retirement worldwide. Their leading-edge retirement tech platform propelled them to success in the UK. Now they're operating on four continents and working with partners like Zurich and JP Morgan. Find out more at www.smart.co. Enlistedboard.com, your guide to entrepreneurial governance and how you can start making your board 
in engine growth today. So Mario, just for the dessert course, and maybe secondly, you can mention your affiliate links, which I'll post in the show notes for people who want to get gold and such for less than the um, list price. But before that, how do you see the next six months going yourself? If I can ask you the sort of typically impossible question, what do you think is going to happen in terms of all these matters over the next six by the, the end of the year? And, I, I, and I'm, I'm smiling because you having been in the city will, will know the maxim that if you give a forecast, either give a, a level or a date, but never the two at the same time. <laughs> the market's going to 10,000 or the market will do something by November. <laughs> well, one thing I was looking at today, it looks like the, the dollar index uh, has topped and is definitely coming down. Uh, and uh, the last time it happened, uh, we formed a major top. And I guess I could be wrong. It might not be a major top, but the last time that was in 2001 and two. And we had a massive run in not just uh, commodities and gold. We had a massive run also in housing, the stock market. So uh, I think we're close to a a point where people are going to be happy with what the Fed has done with uh, vis-a-vis rates and inflation. And we might even have an accident again and they'll have to start stimulating again. That's what that is telling me. But uh, yeah, I think we could see a major, major run, especially in in, uh, commodities, because they're still heavily undervalued versus the stock market and gold as well. Yes. So it was an unfair question, but I think you're you're right about that. And I think if I had to make a forecast the next six months, I'd forecast the continued rise uh, of BRICS and the continued multipolarity um, and countries that are in their own different ways. Uh, not entirely free of corruption like Russia, China, um, uh, India uh, and and many more, will continue to gain power. And uh, I hope, and this is uncertain for me, I I hope that they are outside this whole United Nations Great uh, Reset. Um, But even if they're not, um, I've got great faith in the the people over the the medium term, even if the the bits in the middle aren't so fun, um, that the Great Awakening, uh, as many people call it, uh, will eventually uh, have come the, the Great Reset. So, um, Mario, you have some affiliate links. Uh, you've been uh, very kind in, in sharing um, your infinite uh, researches. I was asking you beforehand uh, how you managed to keep up the work rate because there's uh, so much going on, um, but uh, every day you're, you're out there pumping the, the content out, so it's very impressive. Um, so, uh, in return, please do uh, mention some of your uh, affiliate sponsors. Yeah, I, uh, here in the UK, I've got Gold Investments. And right now, uh, you can buy Krugerrands, one ounce gold Krugerrands for just half a percent over spot if you use a, a Monaco 64 promo code. And I also have an affiliation with, uh, with Glint. They're more like a fintech company where you can buy gold. They store it for you in Switzerland and um, they uh, provide you with a MasterCard so you can spend the gold. So it's Glint Pay. The referral code there is uh, Mario Glint 79 And uh, in the U.S., I've got two affiliates, ITM Trading and uh, Miles Franklin. Excellent. Well, I'd like to thank you, Mario, once more, uh, and on behalf of all the listeners, for uh, an update uh, about where it's all going. I must perhaps get somebody on the show at some point to talk about the stock market, but I hate to uh, forecast that one. I, I still keep thinking uh, in my, 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 my pessimistic scenario is the stock market could easily halve uh, and no one will be that surprised afterwards, um, but I hope it uh, uh, doesn't, given the steps and everything like that. We shall see. So thank you very much for that, uh, Mario, and thank you for your 
uh, ongoing uh, work on um, YouTube. You're not as lazy as I in terms of just producing the audio. You produce the video as well uh, and a number of interviews. Um, and for those people out there who haven't uh, checked out Mario on YouTube, do he's always got something interesting and fresh to say. And in particular, I like the historical depth that you often bring to it. Uh, you read lots of books on, on these things about how things were in the past. Um, those people who don't know history are condemned to repeat it and we're certainly uh, repeating it right now. So yes, that's, that's Maneco64, M-A-N-E-C-O-64 on YouTube. So thank you very much, Mario. You're welcome and thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. If you're in need of a non-executive or advisory director with deep expertise, experience and contacts in the worlds of both traditional FS and fintech, or unique insight into how to make your board an engine of growth today, contact me at mike at mikeballiman.com. If you just need one-off advice in these areas via clarity.fm slash mikeballiman. We could sit in a vendor all day Watching the firelight dance Watching the firelight dance We could walk in the mountains before dawn Watching a happy moon ride Watching a happy moon ride To come away from the city With the tarmac so dead And the people so sad Come away from the city But with the faces so gray With the pain of the Mountains and the trees Can you see what I mean? Can you see what I mean? We fade in between the earth and the sky Kiss the city goodbye Wave the city goodbye Wave the city goodbye Watch the firelight dance with me. 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 Watch the firelight.